1: To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com tapiphone
2: tap iPhone. Banks has supported Independent Tech News directly for five years. Be like Don! Become a DTNS member right now at patreon.com DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Thursday, May 30th, 2019. In Los Angeles, I'm Tom Merritt. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chain.
1: Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com
3: and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
1: The Claude three model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit Stripe.com slash Tap iPhone.
2: Holy senior editor at Engadget. Welcome back to the show, Nicole. Happy to be here. It's good to have you. Uh, We've got uh, promises of 5G. Uh, We've got possible merger conditions for T-Mobile and AT&T. We have some augmented reality glasses, but let's start with a few tech things you should know. GoGo announced its 5G service will start with business aircraft, commercial regional jets and smaller mainline jets in the US and Canada in 2021. So it's not going to be on your big flights, and it's not going to be till 2021. GoGo will upgrade its existing 250-tower network, which will continue to fall back to 4G and 3G if necessary. And GoGo believes that 5G will deliver lower cost along with lower latency, meaning that it can keep its service prices lower. Within 48 hours of the magnitude 8.0 earthquake in Peru on Sunday, Alphabet company Loon had its internet balloons providing LTE coverage. Now, Loon also provided emergency connectivity in Puerto Rico after the Hurricane Maria in 2017. That deployment took a month, though. The difference this time is that Loon was already in the process of installing infrastructure and conducting tests with Peruvian partner Telefonica. So Loon's trying to say, hey, if we're on the ground preventatively, we can help. In these emergencies, much faster. And the first YouTube channel to reach more than 100 million subscribers is India's T Series channel. T Series, if you don't know, began back in the 80s as Super Cassettes Industries Private Limited selling copies of Bollywood songs before transitioning into producing new music. And the company is now known for original Bollywood music soundtracks and pop music and is India's largest music label, followed by Sony Music India and Z Music, and now the owner of the largest YouTube channel ever. All right, let's talk a little bit more about Google and its ad blocking policies. Remember back in January, uh, we did a main topic about Google announcing a change to the Chrome browser that would stop ad blocking extensions from using the web request API to block ads. I don't know if you remember that, but API web request lets extensions modify a request. So a request comes in to do something and the extension can go, yeah, yeah, okay, you can load that image, but no, you can't load that cookie. So this is what a lot of ad blockers use. uBlock uses it, for instance, to block cookies or JavaScript. This would, however, also allow a malicious extension to steal cookies. It's kind of an all-or-nothing thing, and that's one of Google's problems with it. Google wants to replace web request with declarative net request, which lists the kind of responses and requests to be blocked. So the extension would say, block cookie requests, block these kinds of requests, uh, or redirect these kind of requests, and then the browser does it. That way, it speeds things up. And it would also stop malicious extensions from being able to take things. Declarative net request, however, does not allow for more complex patterns. And Google has said it would limit extensions to having 30,000 items on its declarative net request list. UBlock already ships with 90,000 filters, so it says that won't work with us. Uh, We can work with up to half a million. Safari does this already. Uh, it started doing this in 2015 and Safari allows 50,000 net requests, so not that many more, but more Google has said it might increase the amount. And the reason this is in the news today is that a while back, Google had walked back the idea saying, hold on, we're not, we're not done with this version yet. But in a message this week, Google's Simeon Vincent wrote Chrome is deprecating the blocking capabilities of the web request API in manifest V3. Not the entire web request API, although no one was worried about that. It's only the web request blocking. But anyway, uh, blocking will still be available to enterprise deployments. So the headline is that you'll see everywhere that Chrome is deprecating web request ad blocking uh, for everyone except enterprise. The enterprise can do it because maybe there's some internal extensions they want to use. He also wrote that they are planning to modify the install flow, which gave some people the hope that maybe during the install flow blocking might be allowed and they just want to narrow it. Uh, so that extensions can't get away with stuff. But Nicole, uh, how do you feel about this? Google's saying we want to make things faster, which UBlock has said it doesn't make things that much faster. Mm-hmm. And we want to make it more secure.
3: Um, I think the there there's a balance to be struck between the desire for things to be speedy and fast and also for things to be secure. But I also think um, the idea that there has to be some balance there. And I think I do think the the concession to enterprise users makes sense. I do wonder though if uh, them be, if they're working on another solution for consumers as well because I think consumers really you know they have they have a legitimate reason of wanting to be to block ads and not so much for enterprises. I'm thinking I'm, I'm sure enterprises has, has their own you know internal use cases.
2: They want to block web requests for different reasons. The block
3: right, different know. reason. But I mm-hmm. think for the consumer that's. I feel like there's another, there's a completely different, and I feel very legitimate reason for blocking ads too. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it just seems like one of those things where like you would think Google would have the enough, uh, manpower resources to come up with a solution to this. And hopefully they are, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, is already pointing at Firefox saying just do what yeah. they do. They've got a three part yeah. system. You can just use that. But of course, Google has the pressure to limit ad blocking because it makes its money off ads. And and even That's though a right. lot of these companies like Ghostery are focused on privacy, uh, protecting your privacy often ends up blocking ads. Uh, I use Privacy Badger and and that runs up against ad blocking filters a lot because it says, oh, you're blocking ads. I'm like, no, I'm actually just blocking you tracking me without permission. But <laughs> it ends up being the same thing a lot of times.
3: Firefox is out ahead here in many, many ways, like the privacy aspects of it, and the non-tracking aspects of it. So
2: maybe take a look at that in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, and and don't forget that even if you don't want to block cookies and ads, there's also blocking scripts where you're like, I don't want to authorize scripts. Right? There's That's why no script exists. And no script has said this wouldn't make it easy for them to work on Chrome either. So a lot of things to consider. And I hope Chrome's developers consider them. Android police noted that Google updated its terms of service in the Google Play Store, requiring game publishers to clearly disclose the odds of receiving items for loot boxes as well as other in-game lotteries, in advance of purchase. So before you buy a loot box, it's going to tell you your odds of getting that cool sword or whatever that you're wanting are one in five million or whatever the odds are. Apple introduced a similar requirement back in the App Store in late 2017. So if you're familiar with that, that's kind of what's going to be going on. Google also expanded rules against sexual content to include a ban on nudity or any clothing uh, that's not acceptable in an appropriate public context.
0: hmm
3: didn't they also? did they also um, ban like weed ordering apps?
2: Or uh, I think that's part of the family stuff. Uh, oh, family stuff. Okay. Uh, I saw I saw headlines about that. I did not see that in any of the respectable stories that I read.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: Now you're making me look it up, though, because. <laughs> that's a great headline uh but i did not see it in either the nine to five google or the uh android police story about this
3: yeah i i wonder if it's part of this thing about like you know uh making the play store a little bit more of a legitimate family-friendly place um in general and i'm I'm sure this loot box thing it's a little different thing but it goes to the whole like nudity ban and oh
2: wait no it's in the android police you're right it's in the android police uh story uh uh, it will ban apps that facilitate the sale of marijuana. That's right. Uh, so. And Google says uh, it is working with developers to make their apps compliant with new rules rather than banning them from the Play Store altogether. So, uh-huh. so no, not not banning them, uh, but working with them just to make sure that they're not allowed to offer an in-app shopping cart feature. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure.
2: So in other words, you can still have your app and you can still p- tell people where to get it um but
3: you can't like buy it but you directly. can't
2: make it too easy uh, not
3: too easy right so um i think the loot box thing is is good i mean loot boxes have been kind of an issue in the gaming community for a while you know like you know it's kind of like it's kind of gambling right like that's basically what it is sort of and i'm kind of okay with them like making it very clear like what your chances are for doing it i don't see anything really Yeah.
2: I like the odds thing for sure. Uh, The nudity thing uh, and the the marijuana thing are both slippery slopes where it's like, okay, you get to do that because you run the Google play store. But at what point are you going to allow something that a lot of people don't want you to allow? And they're like, well, you allow the, you block these other things. Why don't you block this thing that I don't? Block
3: the browser, block Chrome, because that shows a bunch of
2: stuff that you shouldn't see. Right, right. (laughs) You can get all kinds of things through the web. It's horrible. Yeah. I never use it. (laughs) Um, Microsoft announced it's going to bring its all-you-can-play Xbox Game Pass to the PC with more than 100 PC games. Microsoft's own games will be available on Game Pass for PC on day one. Uh, members will get a 20% off discount in the Windows Store on games and 10% off downloadable content and add-ons. Microsoft did not mention how much of this new service will cost, when it will launch, or whether it will be able to be combined with the Xbox version of Game Pass or be sold separately. Microsoft also confirmed that more Xbox Game Studio titles will come to Steam. Microsoft is also opening up support for native Win32 apps in the Windows Store, which previously was limited to Universal. Universal Windows platform apps and that will apply to games as well do you uh, do you game on the PC at all Nicole I'm kind of a
3: console person mm-hmm. I mean I have a I like all I play on is the switch uh, these days because the switch is everything uh, <laughs> for me but this sounds great uh, if, if you're if you're an Xbox Microsoft person the all you can play game pass I mean more, more, more than a hundred games.
2: It's great. I mean, it would be interesting to be able to combine them if you're an Xbox person and also want to play on the PC, but they're not saying yeah. whether that's possible or not. Roger, I know you were real excited about this.
0: I I mean,
2: you know, it's it's
0: essentially just kind of a Netflix service for games uh that is, you know, going to be introduced on the PC, which I think is great. Uh one of one of the big bugbears of of playing games, you know, when you on the PC is that there really isn't a subscription service. You buy, you play and you get bored with it. You're kind of just stuck with shelling out the fifty bucks or sixty bucks that you paid for it. Um, this will definitely allow people to get more uh, a, a wider, a broader range of games that they can try out without necessarily having to spend more. Which I think is what's comp- so compelling about it. Um, and if they combine it, I mean, again, no one knows yet. But if they really combine it with the Xbox uh, uh, Game Pass, um, that would be super dope. Because there you are essentially just paying for one service and you can play on uh, two different platforms, whether it's in front of the TV, on your couch and living room, or you're holed up in your, you know, your uh, work office mm-hmm. uh, space with your PC. Um, and, you know, it's kind of something that Microsoft's been working on. They had Play Anywhere that allowed you to buy with the one game that you could play either on Xbox or, or PC. I think there's maybe mm. four four or five titles actually did it. Um but i mean it's it does kind of push the 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 nerve that you know microsoft wants these games to be kind of uh platform eventually at some point maybe platform agnostic where you know regardless of what what you're playing on you can play these games
2: do you would it matter to you if uh you had to pay extra to get your xbox game pass and your your game pass for pc combined it depends on how much extra if it's like
0: you know, if it's basically the cost of both of them together, yeah, maybe not. Uh, yeah, but if, then, then it's no yeah, different. It, right. But if it's just like maybe, you know, 15, 20% more to include both, I think there would be a lot of people that would totally dive into that, especially if they're portable accounts that you can say, hey, you know, I don't have a gaming PC, but my dad does. When I, you know, when, when I go home from college, I can go play in my family's computer. I just log in with my account, you know, and then I can, you know, play there and do whatever kind of like what you do with steam
2: and microsoft studio titles coming to steam uh i always applaud more cross-platform uh ability uh Mm -hmm. so that's good uh i i think they should do that not just make them available in the windows store 47 companies including apple google and whatsapp signed an open letter to the uk's gchq the uh, uk security agency urging the agency to abandon plans for a ghost protocol Ghost Protocol sounds cool. Uh, It'd be a good name for an Xbox game. Uh, But it was, in this case, a proposal made in November by two UK government security experts describing a technique to send copies of messages to a third party, like a law enforcement party, uh, besides the intended one. So I want to send a message to Nicole. I'm under suspicion or under a warrant. My messages would also be diverted to a law enforcement officer, not just to Nicole, without my knowledge the idea would be to surveil a target without breaking encryption. So they're saying you don't have to put a back door in, just divert the messages our way. Now, the companies in this letter object on two grounds. One, it would require the injection of a new public key into a conversation without telling people. And two, it would require companies to suppress notifications that appear when a new person joins a chat. Because in essence, these surveilled chats would become group chats. It's just only one person knows it's a group chat and the other two think it's just between the two of them. The Mm -hmm. companies say this would, quote, undermine the authentication process that enables users to verify they are communicating with the right people, introduce potential unintentional vulnerabilities, and increase risks that communication systems could be abused or misused. The National Cybersecurity Center's Ian Levy is one of the two authors of the proposal and said that the hypothetical proposal was always intended as a starting point for discussion and, quote, we will continue to engage with interested parties and look forward to having an open discussion to reach the best solution possible. So, Nicole, on the one hand, it doesn't seem like this really solves a lot of these companies' concerns, but on the other hand, it at least isn't a backdoor, right?
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm all, I mean, I, I think I'm of a couple of minds about this. I do, I do agree that it's at least not at least not backdoor, so that's good. On the other hand, like, I can totally see how this could be misused. I can totally see how a bad actor could like be the you know like the hidden uh, a chat member in a chat and like you know be it being used for scams or spams or that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, I think there needs to be definitely more discussion about the authentication process, making it maybe a little bit more transparent, um, making it a little bit clearer of what exactly government the government would have access to and what they wouldn't have have access to.
2: This is a better example than backdoors. Backdoors are bad because backdoors can be used by anybody. Uh, It's it's not hard to reverse engineer them once they're there. I mean, it's hard, Mm -hmm. but it's not impossible, and you want it to be impossible. This says, okay, don't put a backdoor. Just let us in on particular conversations. That's less of an issue because if everybody's doing it right, (laughs) then (laughs) theoretically, only people with a warrant who are investigating people who deserve to be investigated would be let in. Uh, But like you say, it's still open for abuse. And there is the potential, as they say, for unintentional vulnerability. So maybe the ability to insert a secret public key, it's not really public if it's secret, but you know what I mean, like insert a public key into a conversation without the other two people knowing about it could be hijacked. Uh, that's a little more theoretical than backdoors, but it's still possible. So the question becomes like the most secure system is a mechanical system where the company could say, I don't touch anything. It's encrypted end to end. There's an authentication Mm -hmm. process that runs the same for everybody else. And what this ghost protocol suggests is, but every once in a while you should insert yourself. And as soon as the company inserts itself, it's not as secure as if it is just as if they are fully separated from it. And so I guess my question is, can you ever have a situation that allows responsible, legitimate law enforcement surveillance?
3: That is the big question. And I don't think this answers it.
2: Yeah. So. I don't think so either. Uh, Bloomberg reports its sources say the U.S. Department of Justice wants Sprint and T-Mobile to help a fourth wireless carrier with its own network get started as a condition for approving the merger of T-Mobile and Sprint. If you're like, huh? Uh, In other (laughs) words, they're saying, okay, Sprint and T-Mobile, you are the number three and four carriers. You can merge as long as you make sure there's a new fourth carrier. (laughs) Um, New Street Research's Blair Levin told Bloomberg a fourth competitor could come from the cable industry. Comcast and Spectrum uh, and Dish have all got Spectrum and they're all engaged in a certain level of providing a wireless service. Uh, so one of those providers, uh, could reach a virtual network agreement, an MVNO agreement to fill in the gaps while it continues to build out its own infrastructure. Meanwhile, Reuters reports its sources say that T-Mobile and Sprint are considering divesting wireless spectrum in order to get approval for this deal. So it sounds like they're at least thinking about it. Uh, but the idea I guess would be to say to, I don't know, let's say dish, uh, You've got Spectrum. We'll give you a little more Spectrum, and we'll give you a deal to use our network as an MVNO until you get your network up and running in exchange for approval of this merger.
3: I guess it's just weird because Spectrum um, and Comcast and all of those, they're also giant companies in their own right. I mean, they have their own cable, and that's a big giant company too. That's why I think – I wonder what – the doj really wants is a you know, fourth wireless like a really a pure wireless carrier like a t-mobile or a sprint or something and not well, something that has a giant yeah. <laughs> other company
2: i, I think what business. they i think what they want is uh a lack of consolidation they're like we yeah. want to make sure there's a at least a fourth player here uh mm. so i don't think it matters to them whether it's a big company or not i mean at&t and verizon are, are large companies as well yeah. So, so to me, it's less about the size of the company. In fact, the size of the company may be appealing to the DOJ here, because mm. they may say, "Well, you, that that company then has a better chance of surviving and creating <clears throat> a viable competitor."
3: I will say that the idea of MVNOs in general, I think it's it's not really talked about a lot. I in it, it seems like anyway, but they're actually a really great option. I think Google Fi is is actually really good, and I think there, you know, I think Walmart has has its own. Uh, a carrier. And in, I know I know they're not like real wireless carriers, but they're actually really good, viable, affordable options that people should look into. Anyway, the thing is, they're regardless.
2: dependent on these other carriers. And so I, I think I, that's I know why that. they're saying the MVNO could be a stopgap to help them get their infrastructure. But the goal would yeah. be to not have them be an MVNO to, mm. in fact, be a separate, have separate infrastructure of their own.
3: That's fair.
2: Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, stoic squirrel says sprint could split off boost mobile, uh, T-Mobile could uh, split off Metro PCS, but that wouldn't help. You need no. what department of justice wants is somebody to build out their own fourth network. Their own network. Yeah. Right. That's going to be hard. <laughs> I don't see T-Mobile and sprint being real excited <laughs> about helping somebody else. compete no. with them either. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's going to be hard. So,
2: uh, finally, China's NREAL at N-R-E-A-L announced a consumer version of its light AR glasses to arrive later this year for $499. Uh, if, you, if that rings a bell, we talked about them at CES. The glasses, in this case, though, use a phone rather than a PC like the ones showed off by Real at CES, remember they had a little attachment, little computer mm-hmm. uh, that you stuck in your pocket. That's what we saw at CES. You saw those at CES mm-hmm. too, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, light AR looks like a pair of sunglasses, except for the wire coming down <laughs> the side of your face. Uh, that, in this case, plugs in by USB-C to a smartphone running on Qualcomm Snapdragon 855 processor. Uh, they include. Uh, Nreal Partners Black Shark 2 gaming phone, the Oppo Remo 5G, and the LG ThinkQ. Uh, but theoretically, any phone with a USB-C connection and a Snapdragon 855 could use this. A uh, developer version that comes with that computing pack and a handheld controller that we saw at CES is also going to sell. That one will be $1,200, though, so quite a bit more expensive. And it is a
3: developer September. version. Yeah. it's so, it's so. The,
2: so they're shipping that one in September because they yeah. want developers to create apps that can use the light AR glasses when the four hundred ninety-nine dollar ships to the consumers later in the year.
3: Yeah, generally speaking, developable versions are more expensive because they're usually bought by companies trying to test things out. So I think, you know, it is twelve hundred dollars, but that's not for consumers anyway. So I you know. Yeah, the five hundred
2: dollar yeah. version is the one that just attaches yeah. to a phone.
3: Yeah, that's the one.
2: And it looks like sunglasses except for the wire coming off your head. <laughs> So it's better than a lot of these right. other augmented reality glasses that we've seen. Cause it looks a little right. more normal, but it still has a yeah. wire coming down, right? It's not wireless. Right. That's how it's able yeah. to look like sunglasses. Cause it doesn't have to have a lot of stuff in it. Uh, it's right. essentially just a display, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think honestly at this point, I think that's not a bad way to go. Cause I've seen the all in one headsets and they're, they're really kind of bulky and they're big and they don't look good on everybody because they're like those sort of the squarish frames. And, uh, they're not that great <laughs> based on just my personal experience. Um, but I think, you know, something like, I think right now for, from where we're at in terms of technology, I think offloading the, the battery and the processing power and the rendering power onto a phone really makes a lot of sense. It's cheaper too at $500 and um, phones are really good at rendering. Like that's what they do. And I think it's totally okay for these classes to use the phone for rendering.
2: Yeah. Oh, and Snapdragon 855 is built to handle some augmented reality stuff, particularly. Yeah. So it's taking so. advantage of that. Who is this for, though? Like, I, I, I totally agree with you that this is better. Uh, this is a better approach. It's a more consumer-friendly approach to somebody who might want to start doing this. It's similar to Google Cardboard and and those kinds mm-hmm. of situations where they're like, hey, you just stick your phone, in and then you got some VR. But who will do this? Who will pay five hundred dollars to have this? Because the the major as as you were saying, you were down at Santa Clarita at the augmented reality uh, conference. The Mm -hmm. major use case for these things is in business, is in enterprise right now. This is definitely Mm -hmm. not a business case. This four hundred ninety nine dollar fancy glass you put on your face (laughs) is really meant for consumers.
3: Yeah, and that's that's the question, I think. they What they really need to do is to sell the use case before they sell the hardware in some cases. Like, they have to say, oh, this is what you're going to use it for. You're going to use it for, like, watching movies or, like, cool apps or cool games, or you can put your, you know, email on the corner as you're working on your document, and they can multitask. I mean, something like that, I think, would maybe make the case a little bit better. Uh, but right now, the hardware is cool, the hardware's ready, the software, the applications are kind of the... Uh, the X factor here.
2: Did you spend any time? uh, Did you see the unreal when you were at the conference?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's good quality. Like the display is sharp and the hardware looks cool. I think it's really good, good value for the price. It's just, you know, the the
2: question of use case, Yeah, make a use case for us. Unreal. Come on, let's do it. Hey, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. And thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories and vote on them. uh, And it affects what we put in the show for sure, as well as just being a great resource to keep up on other things going on in the tech world outside of the bubble. Uh, You can find that at DailyTechNewsShow.reddit.com. And uh, conversations always going on in our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Tech News Show. Let's check out the mailbag. Andrew wanted to comment on our laptop form factor discussion on yesterday's show. We were talking about HP and Dell and Intel building second screens into laptops, foldable laptops and all that. Andrew says, hey guys, longtime listener, recent Patreon, the Honeycomb Glacier laptops, that's the Intel one you talked about, mm-hmm. caught my attention because as an all day laptop user, I love the idea of more screen real estate. However, no one who has multiple monitors stacks them on top of each other. They need to be side to side. The concept <laughs> from Razer, Project Valerie, back in early 2017, seems much more exciting and practical. That's the one where the screens slide out from the side. It mm-hmm. turns out it hasn't been practical because they haven't brought it to market. But um, Anyway, Andrew says, two bonus full-size monitors folding out from the main display. Perfection. In a world of foldable and rollable screens, I'm surprised no one has made this simple concept work. I, uh, before we move on, because Gary has his own take on, on uh, the, the laptop form factors, I want to point out that I actually used to put my monitor above my laptop monitor. like I totally stacked them. But that doesn't prove Andrew wrong. I'm crazy. Most people don't do that. Anyway, Gary said, I can think of all kinds of things I would do with a dual screen laptop. Currently, I don't have a desktop Windows PC. I have a Surface Pro 4 that I plug a giant widescreen monitor into and I need more screen real estate. However, it would be really nice to have a laptop where I could, for instance, read a podcast script from the main screen while running Audacity on the auxiliary screen, or have a Google Hangout on the auxiliary screen and a web version of Cards Against Humanity on the main screen so players can talk together while playing the game. For tasks like these, jamming everything onto a laptop sized screen is problematic. A pop up auxiliary screen on a laptop would allow folks to do these types of tasks without being tethered to an external monitor. So it's not saying Andrew, it's not actually a counterpoint to Andrew, but Gary's just saying. Saying, yeah it's some kind of secondary screen does seem like a really cool idea
3: yeah i think um i think the only question i guess is that you have, you would still have to have a you know an external keyboard but that's i guess you're gonna have it anyway right, right If you're using this kind of dual screen devices well
2: the did you see the honeycomb glacier one it's got it's a laptop so it's got the laptop keyboard then it's got the secondary right. screen and then you got the main screen so you don't need an true, external that's keyboard true in that situation that's
0: true so yeah, you know, one of I mean, I really like Wing Windows because one of the the issues when I was looking at more of the uh, the Intel and the Dell and the uh, the Lenovo designs is that I already have neck issues, like neck shoulder issues from sitting on a computer all day. Uh, just kind of even having had to even tilting my head down just you know uh, half a degree just to look down, I can see being kind of an RSI issue. Whereas if they were side by side. You know, it, I don't think it would be, at least for me in my current uh, condition,
2: uh, would be a little less uh, problematic. You know, one of the reviewers I read, though, had exactly the same approach, but liked Honeycomb Glacier because he said it moved the monitor farther up. And so he felt like he was looking straight on at the laptop monitor, and then he would tilt down when he needed to see the auxiliary monitor. But he That's felt like cool. it actually helped him have, have a better ergonomic stance.
0: I, I love that they raised that, and I think the easy way to do that is to build a built-in laptop stand that would raise your laptop mm-hmm. uh, to get it at eye level. But just just
2: I don't know. I just the
0: wing windows. There's something about the wing screens that really appeal to they me. They
2: just haven't been able to make them practical, I don't think, or they would be out, because yeah. I think everybody likes that idea, but you got to make it so they don't bend and break and, and get floppy. And <laughs> it's, it's not that the <laughs> screens themselves would break, but the, the connections uh, yeah. you know, from sliding in and out uh, is something you have, to, you have to be able to do, whereas this hinge that Honeycomb Glacier has seems mm-hmm. really solid.
3: Yeah, the durability is definitely a question when it comes to these, like, extra screens.
2: By the way, Nick with the C takes issue with the idea that no one wants stacked monitors, and Stoic Squirrel uses stacked screens because he uses a laptop and a monitor above it, just like me. So we're not crazy. There are a few <laughs> of us. Yes. Uh, and finally, yesterday, we mentioned that Intel doesn't do products. We were talking about the Intel reference design in relation to the Honeycomb Glacier. Uh, but Ion Computers notes that they do get real close arguably they do a product with the intel nuc the next unit of computing which comes as both bare bones where you supply your own storage or fully loaded pc with windows 10 pre-installed for around five or six hundred bucks it's kind of like a mac mini and the idea here is that intel's like we make all these parts we're just putting them in a form factor and selling them but it is essentially a pc it just doesn't sell with a keyboard or or monitor but that's no different than a mac mini i adds I've had a lot of success with their systems in schools, medical offices, engineering firms, and recently VR workstations using HTC Vives with their recent Hades Canyon models with surprising collaboration with AMD, which still blows my mind since I've been following PC hardware since the mid-90s. So it's not even always Intel's parts in there. I digress. If Intel wanted to release more Intel PCs in different form factors, I would definitely check them out because of their previous six years continuing their design and improvements on their portable PC NUC systems. So uh, thank you, Eye on Computers, for that. Good point. Those NUCs are pretty much products out there for Intel. Sure. And thank you, Nicole Lee, for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: If you want to find more Nicole, where should people go?
3: Uh, well, you can check out what I'm talking about on a regular basis on twitter.com Nicole. Uh, for my work, you can just go to Engadget.com.
2: I know you're working on some things you're not ready to talk about yet. Are there any hints you can drop or
3: just check by next week?
2: Just be sure. Don't miss it. Uh, be, be looking at twitter.com slash Nicole. You won't regret it.
3: <laughs> That's right.
2: Uh, folks. Our goal each month is to get one more patron than last month. And we are almost to the end of the month. So be the person that makes sure we're over the top. Become a DTNS member and get an ad free RSS feed. I've got an explainer of arm. If you've been a little confused, like, is Arm a chip maker? Why it's not a chip maker? But then are they not a patent troll? I've got a special episode of Editor's Desk coming to everybody at the $5 a month level and up on Saturday. You get that. You get the RSS with the ad-free episodes. You get special episodes looking back at tech news in the past at certain levels and more. Sign up. Uh, In fact, you'll get Roger's take on the Ryzen chips coming out later today in a column at patreon.com slash DTNS. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com We're live Monday through Friday at 4.30pm Eastern 2030 UTC You can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com Slash live Tomorrow Chris Mancini from Comedy Film Nerds Is going to give us his impressions of the new Star Wars Galaxy Edge tech At the Disney uh, Amusement Park And Len Peralta will be with us too Talk to you then This show is part of the Frog Pants Network Get
1: more at frogpants.com
2: you have enjoyed this
3: broker <laughs> hi this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero if you own or operate a business whether it's a local operation or a global corporation partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move by teaming with Bank of America you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools award-winning insights and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter